no mai, haere mai ki tēnei hōtaka. Welcome to the panel, Owens International. Kia mou, tōna mou, koutou katoa, coming up on the programme. Over 25% of suicides are linked to alcohol. This is startling new research out today in the New Zealand Medical Journal. Dr Rose Crossan on that just after four. Also, if there was one item that we really need, it is bread. Should we be concerned at its rising price? Should farmers in Aotearoa be encouraged to switch to wheat? That on the show today. And intensification looks set to be our future in our urban areas, sure. But do we need a national design agency to ensure the quality and the aesthetics? And 99 time capsules, sorry, 90 time capsules rather, discovered in a Tauranga City Council building. And how exciting are time capsules? I had to do this story. If you had to put, this is my question of the day today, and I'd love to uh, hear your responses. If you had to put one or two items today in a time capsule, what would they be? I'll get the ball rolling. For me, I'd put in a hacky sack. Uh, no explanation note. I just try and confuse people. So I'd put in a hacky sack, and I'd also put in a preserved veggie sausage to tell people what we were eating or trying to eat in 2022. What's yours? What would you put in a time capsule? Text me, 2101, email the panel at rnz.co.nz. With me this afternoon, Joe McCarroll, editor of NZ Gardener. Kia ora, Joe. Kia ora, Wallace. Hey, it's good to have you back. Good to have you here. Wonderful to be here. Very good. Also, Andrew Hoggard, uh, CEO of Federated Farmers. Andrew, kia ora. Good afternoon. Just the president, not the CEO. The president, rather. Let's keep it as president just for this afternoon. Uh, yeah, 15, yeah. I wouldn't 15, mind the salary, but no. <laughs> um, 15 to 5. Uh, we talked to Mayor Leanne Dalzell yesterday about the stadium. Needless to say, got a fair bit of response to it. Um, Linda says, finally, a decision. Now they just need to get on with it. Christchurch Needs a great venue, said Linda. Uh, another one says, look, if it's been sold as a multi-use stadium, then make sure it's designed as a multi-use stadium. It needs to be able to do a rugby test one weekend, followed by an international tour touring show the following uh, weekend, which is very true, Joe. What do you think about this uh, um, uh, 300 and is it $86 million stadium? No, six, $683 well, million I, dollar stadium. I agree with that first correspondent. I mean, with those sorts of sunk costs, it's good to have a decision. You know, if that had gone on and on and on of will we or won't we, um, how much money would have been spent? Um, so, I mean, you know, I agree. I think there's room for a great venue in Te Waipanamu. Is there? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, the, the economic... Um, sort of downstream of that, of people coming and events happening. But again, it needs to be something where a lot of things can happen and the stadium itself will never make any money. No, that's the problem. Andrew, you're there. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think it's good they finally made a call. They probably should have made one a long time ago. I remember growing up in Wellington region when all the discussions were happening around um, getting rid of Athletic Park and yes. finally get building the uh, Trustback or whatever it's called now, uh, the stadium. Um, and it's a great venue. Um, been to the Sevens there and rugby games and I think a few cricket ones. So, yeah, it's having a multi-use stadium that can be used for many things, really valuable. 
There, there's always I can name the tin can. Is that his nickname? There was a bit yes, of controversy yeah, around that, tin, wasn't there? The cake tin. The cake, cake tin, tin, rather. Excuse me, the cake tin, yep. not the tin can. Uh, also, the Forsyth Bar Stadium in Dunedin, a lot of protests on that one. So um, we'll oh, see. I mean, I think if you look back at our urban history, it's yeah. protests about one stadium after another, let's be honest, because yeah. these are such big infrastructure projects. Uh, lowering the voting age, the group Make It 16 took the argument all the way to the Supreme Court. We won't relitigate that. We've talked about that long enough, but uh, a couple of responses there. Lowering the voting age at 64, I'm all for it. There is a vital extra dimension to this now as climate change will affect the young far more than our generation. I would be more in favour of having a maximum age at which you can't vote anymore, says Deb and Clyde. Um, excellent and very persuasive argument by Kate from Make It 16. If you can work, earn money and get taxed at 16, then you should be able to vote. And how that tax gets spent, says James in Wellington. Now, um, uh, Peter Field put the cat amongst the pigeons in a way. He said, um, this is talking about uh, aged care and that there are a thousand beds short in New Zealand. It's a bit of a crisis, actually, in uh, the aged care area. It might come to a point where you can't get your um, elderly mum or dad into aged care. Peter Field said more people should be able to care, more people should be cared for at home, if possible. And Joanna said, I looked after mum for the years till she died and my partner for three years before he died at home. Yes, it was a commitment and I had to learn a lot about their illnesses and how to look after them, but no regrets. And I feel that we don't choose to do this enough in our society for our elderly. Other cultures often have their elderly living with them and or look after them around the panel on that. The interge- intergenerational family at home, you for it, Joe, or not for it? Look, I'm for it in theory, and I agree with um, that letter writer that actually it is unusual in the world to take the care of the older generation and sort of outsource it. Um, but I, but some of those things, when you talk about um, how you are kind of culturally sort of raised, that makes a difference too. Um, we're not set up for it in a lot of ways in New Zealand in terms of how our houses are, in terms of... And do I have the capacity to be able to look after an elderly person? Do I have the uh, requisite expertise, Andrew Hoggard? Yeah, well, that would be the question if it's, um, you know, they're suffering from dementia or some other serious illnesses, um, particularly in our situation where we're, you know, 45-odd minutes out of town. Um, uh, actually, yeah. you know, my parents just live up the road and, you know, right now they're, they're looking at, um, you know, can can they go and buy something smaller, easier to live, live in, closer to town, don't have all the tra- um, commuting and stuff, so... There's benefits from having your your parents around, um, but it it can be challenging depending on your circumstances as well. Yeah. Uh, We also talked about celebrity encounters uh, and had a really big response to that. This is on the back of a a, a news item where Keanu Reeves was besieged by fans. Actually, no, um, besieged by fans in general, but one fan he gave an awful lot of time to at at an airport. Uh, and people loved it because he answered all those young boys' questions, you know, really giving of his time. Um, I I met Spike Milligan when my father turned 50 back in 1971 in a restaurant in Courtney Place. Spent a very fun-filled night. Um, That'd be quite extraordinary, meeting Spike Milligan in a restaurant in Courtney Place. Um, Dick Frizzell, the artist, uh, the well-known artist, uh, emailed the panel and sent us a pic of him and Billy Connolly 
Uh, he said, Wallace uh, says, Dick, here's your lookalike and celeb meet all in one. And they look very, very similar. And Dina in Otipote Dunedin says, Ray Davies from the Kinks. I met him in 1989 when he was playing with Shut Up Frank. I asked him where they were off to the next day. He replied, the Warner's Hotel. Also, uh, the backbencher in Wellington. Round the panel on this one, Joe McCarroll. Have you had any celebrity encounter of note? I've actually had quite a few, but mainly because for many years I wrote celebrity interviews <laughs> for a living. And so, really, we don't have time okay. wow. to go into it. Is there one that stands out? Um, I was very impressed when I interviewed John Travolta, who I've interviewed a few times. And the about maybe the third time I interviewed him, he remembered me. And I was quite impressed by that because, um, I mean, he was quite a famous person and was interviewed a lot, quite. obviously. Um, but, yeah, I, that really struck me. Um, but and, and some people, obviously, who are famous mean kind of less to you than they might mean to other people. Whereas, you know, some people that I interviewed who were quite famous and they might be like my very favourite authors or, you know, that, that would be much more significant to me. They probably very wouldn't seem as famous to other people. Actually, that, you know, that is quite something for, for someone like John Travolta who is a... You know, a bit of a phenomenon, really, to come back for the third time and, hey, Joe. Yeah. Well, I don't, maybe he'd been briefed, to be fair. John Travolta, <laughs> if you're listening, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Text us, John, 2101, if you do happen to be uh, listing in uh, LA or whatever. Uh, as some people do, we get uh, quite a bit, of, quite a few responses from uh, around the world internationally. Um, what about you, Andrew? Um, probably shook Prince Charles's hand. That'd probably be the most well-known or recognisable person I've met globally. Um, other than that, yeah, just stood in line at airports with various sports stars and professional wrestlers at times, but never really talked to any of them. No. What did Prince Charles say to you? Um, yeah, it was something about... Uh, he got going on about organic farming and stuff, which I wasn't really interested in. Um, no, of course and, you weren't. Yeah, it didn't last very long. Um, he just moved on to the next person, and that was that. Yeah. Well, actually, Prince Charles has been quite prescient in terms of what he he's um, understood about organics and also like not, uh, biodiversity. And not with Andrew Hoggard. Maybe, maybe Prince Charles <laughs> no. starts talking, and the head of Fed Farmers goes, "Oh, I'm pretty busy, Charles." Wow. Um, and reading and declining literacy rates. One school in Kaipoi North. Uh, got the attention of the government with this approach, phonetic-based reading. It's called structured literacy, uh, and this is the uh, a newish approach. Many listeners actually say, hey, this is not new. We did this back in the 40s and 50s. But we actually got more response to this story than anything else this week, interestingly. Um, Wallace, because literacy is a really big issue, uh, and you're you're getting kids who are going to school who you know, can't read and write properly or not up to standard. Wallace, I read books to my four-year-old using phonics, and this is where... Dyson Miles principal said, you've got the word sit, you go sit, sit, and you just point to, you know, phonetics. I read books to my four-year-old using phonics. I'm not sure why. Maybe he pointed letters. Anyway, when he started school and was tested, he was on level eight, and I didn't even know he could read. He never said a word, just soaked it up. Another one here. My son was doing poorly with literacy methods at the local school. We sent him to a low-cost, fee-paying school that teaches phonics. He's just flown. 
I don't know why the state schools have gone down the uh, learning route and lost sight of proven methods. It's pleased to hear some are going back to structured uh, literacy. Uh, Anna Fangarai says, I can't believe you th- you're saying this, Wallace. I'm 63, and that is how we all learned to read. The cat on the mat. All right, time for I've Been Thinking. Uh, Joe McCowell, take it away. Well, I've been thinking as I go to and from my office, and I live in fairly central Auckland and I work in fairly central Auckland. And on the way from my home to my work, which is about four kilometres, maybe five kilometres, there are now, because a new one has just opened, there are now four supermarkets. And there is also one old supermarket that is now a a dispatch centre for online orders. And I don't I don't know if this is just an Auckland thing. I don't know if it's just the part of Auckland I live in, but I was really struck by how many supermarkets that is in really a tiny amount of space. And I don't know if anyone knows or has noticed this elsewhere in New Zealand, but do we just, I mean, we talk a lot about supermarkets and the duopoly and whether or not we've been kind of ripped off, but do we just have too many supermarkets? Like, that seems an extraordinary number for... Well, no, because usually there's a covenant around a supermarket. Usually it's the opposite. A supermarket's there and no one else can build within a certain uh, area. That's how it usually goes. Part of the land banking that I yeah, think is, well, is certainly yes. being alleged in terms of how the duopoly right. operate. Well, as part of that, are they just putting up more and more supermarkets? But what are the what are the sort of impact of that? Because also on my way into work, I go past, you know, little dairies, little flower shops, you know, all sorts of little shops um, which are really welcome businesses that normally are run by a single family. I don't know. I'm, I was really astonished when yet another supermarket opened um, in this exactly the same as section of Suburbia. Four kilometres. Four, 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 four and a half. Four and a half k's, four supermarkets. Yeah, you know, right. as in you go two ways yeah. to see all of them, but um, but they're, they're all – you, you could um, – it wouldn't be – very many minutes to okay. walk from one to the next. Joe, kia ora. Uh, Andrew Hogard, I've been thinking. Yeah, um, been lot, lots of time for thinking this last week because I've had COVID, so I've been in the isolation period. And I guess for me it was, um, yeah, I was kind of expecting a lot more. Um, after everyone I knew had suffered pretty badly and talked about brain fog and all the rest of it, and for my family it was just weird the the randomness because none of I, I think I was the worst with about two days of um, you know a bit of a head cold and just yeah I would have thought this long into the pandemic would start to have some really good understanding of why it is some people get it real bad and others don't because certainly I know of people that are much younger and much fitter than me um, got knocked for six a hell of a lot more than what I did. Um, usual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so I know. I was just I... really curious about the whole weirdness of it and the randomness. I have a friend who's fairly young, quite fit, uh, and, uh, you know, he has uh, – COVID has hit him pretty hard. Nonetheless, it's uh, really going around, isn't it, Joe? Mm. Well, it absolutely is, and Andrew's completely right. You, you know, you know people who are um, – maybe not the sort of person you think would fly through a serious illness and, and they have a tickle in the throat and maybe a day resting in front of Netflix. And then younger people can be absolutely wiped out. Mm. Uh, keep your feedback coming on our topic of the day, which is what would you put in a time capsule? If you planted in the earth um, tomorrow morning, 
What would you put in? One person says one thing. Jib. Text me 2101. Joe McCarroll, Andrew Hager with me this afternoon. <laughs>